This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What up, your boy Doug Gottlieb here. Welcome in. This is All Ball, all basketball, all the time. My guest this week is Pete Lisicki. Uh Pete was three-time All-Big Ten Legendary player in Europe. Now he does financial advising in, uh, I think it's Scottsdale. He's going to join us. Some awesome stories about playing overseas and sometimes getting your money and sometimes not getting your money. Uh, our thoughts on the college system, his thoughts on Penn State and what, what, what happened there in the football program and did he know anything about it? Like, there's a lot I want to dig in with. Plus, we got some talk about uh, nowadays in the NBA. Speaking of nowadays in the NBA, Dude, Damian Lillard, 51-61. Maybe Pat Beverly shouldn't talk shit to that lion, right? That, that is rattling his cage, much the way he rattled Kevin Durant's cage. Remember the, don't you know who I am? I'm Kevin Durant. And he goes and drops 50 and 45 in the last two games. So, um, look, look I, I think Lillard's awesome. He's an amazing shot maker. I thought Dallas was embarrassing with their, with their defense, specifically Christos Przingis. They just went at time and again. And it wasn't that he wasn't effective, 
it's that one, he looks far less athletic than he did before he hurt his knee. And two, just didn't look competitive at times, just dying behind, you know, uh, Nurkic, who's posting him up or pushes him around. Just really, really soft, really soft. But Lillard is amazing. An amazing shot maker. When he gets to the line a ton, that's when he really eats. You look at when he had, you know, when it when he had 60 early this season, 16 free throws. When he had 61, he had 18 free throws and made all 18. So some of it is he's as great a shooter as he is. It's got to got to get to the free throw line, and uh, when he does, he, he obviously makes a ton. It also points to the fact that he had times was not playing that well this season. I know they had injuries to Collins and to Nurkic, but he wasn't playing that well, and that's one of the reasons that you know even before and after those injuries they struggled so mightily. Uh, but he's been amazing. I, I think the guys that are all about ball have been really, really good. Uh, that's, I mean, you look at TJ Warren. He's just a bucket getter. You look at, um, and any of these guys that are on the all bubble team, right? They're just, they're guys that are all about basketball. And for people who keep asking, well, why are they letting, uh, you know, hangers, honors and friends and family down there? They've been down there for two months. Now you're getting the slog. You know, you need a little bit of a distraction because I have been told by some people down there, it's a little bit boring and a little bit mundane. But that doesn't stop the Devin Booker from lighting it up. That hasn't stopped Damian Lillard from lighting it up or TJ Warren from lighting up. Those guys, even um, Michael Porter Jr. has been, you know, when guys get to cut away all the nonsense, noise, and distraction, just play basketball, their, their talent comes out. We do have a tendency to chase box scores. Lillard's a worthy box score, but sometimes we only focus on who scores the most points. Um, obviously, Lonzo has been disappointing. I think Zion's been disappointing. That whole Pelicans thing, but when, when Lonzo really doesn't play well as the point guard, can't shoot, not making plays, doesn't look sharp at all. And he's a guy that you would think all about basketball, cut out any of the, the home stuff. He should be great. He hasn't. That, that's been alarming if you're Pelicans guy you know, and thinking they're going to turn the corner in the future, not just Zion's weight problem, but Lonzo Ball's uh, regression, if anything, in the bubble. All right, we'll get to more of that. I'll give you some thoughts on the Lakers and whether or not they'll have a problem with the Blazers upcoming. But let's dig in on a great conversation with Pete Lasicki. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Okay, so Pete Lisicki joins us. He's a Penn State legend, a Euro, a Euro League legend, and um, um, I, I would say the. It's funny you sent me the video of when we played against each other in Las Vegas in the summer of 1993. I don't know if that was I. I'm trying to think if that was the North or the South gym. What was what was the name of your what was the name of your uh, AAU team at the time? We were the Philly. Uh, the Philadelphia Freedom, and yeah, it was an auxiliary gym at the UNLV campus, but not. I, it, it's not where they do the NBA summer league now. The newer, uh, the newer gym, that's for sure. No, 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 no. The, but North and South—that's where all the. That was where the big. It was the national John Farrell's national championship was. That was what that tournament that was. Is correct. All right, yeah. who's on your who is on your squad? Oh gosh, you're taking me back. Of, so, of note, um, of note. I mean, if you want to no, shout gosh. out your boy or whatever, that's fine. Your boys yeah, or whatever, yeah, that's no. fine. Johnny Johnny Miller was the the biggest name. Now he played originally at Temple and then transferred to Clemson, uh, or vice versa. Uh, we had Trevor Johnson who played at LaSalle. Um, we had, uh, I would say, of of all the AAU teams I played on, uh, maybe not the biggest 
depth of talent. <laughs> and you guys, you guys maybe had on paper and on the floor uh, evidence of, of that <laughs> with, with uh, the amount of talent. What's What's interesting was, and our so our team was had J.R. Henderson. Um, we had Chris Don Johnson. They both played at UCLA, obviously. Chris Johnson. Um, we had Tony Gonzalez, who was a stud. I'm trying to think who else we had that was that year. Well, you somehow you somehow had Charlie Miller, who was from that's like, right. We had Fluke. Florida. Yeah, we had Charlie Miller at Indiana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Fluke stayed with us. Um, actually, that's Frank Martin was was the reason why uh, Frank Martin and um, um, he was an assistant coach at Miami Senior High School. And uh, uh, what's his name? Shaky Rodriguez was the head coach. And my okay, dad knew yeah. Shaky or whatever. And so Fluke mm-hmm. stayed Florida stayed with us. Yeah, there you go. So, so yeah, we had, we had, we had Charlie Miller. That's funny. I forgot. He, Charlie yeah, was really good. One time we had, um, like two summers before, we had Ronnie Henderson who went to LSU. Really good. Yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. And, Roman Rubchenko's from the Ukraine. And they were, my dad had known, you know, Dale Brown for forever. And Dale had basically, you know, given my dad both with the idea of, you know, hey, steer him towards LSU, I, I, I guess. Or I think, I don't know if they were, they weren't already committed, but Roman ended up going to LSU. And I'll never forget, I came home from a basketball camp, like it was a superstar basketball camp in Santa Barbara. And they were both in my house. And Roman, who's from the Ukraine, was like, hello, my name is Roman. That is Ronnie. He is from Mississippi. I cannot understand a word he says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have all my experiences of uh, trying to speak English, but then I, I tone it down for uh, non-English native ears so that they can uh, get my, my gist at least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so you grew up Allentown, right? With like correct. seven brothers and sisters? That is correct. Big family. And people always ask, are you Catholic or Mormon? And yes, we're Catholic, but just growing up, everybody had big families. <laughs> so... That didn't seem so abnormal. Uh, um, um, so, and and super athletic family too, right? Like your brothers are hoopers. Your sister was a cheerleader. Like what was so? So, give me the 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 family dynamic of 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 what it was like growing up in Allentown in the eighties with your family. <laughs> well, uh, I won't go into the Billy Joel song, but the uh, yeah, I mean, growing up, it was um, super competitive just to get food at the dinner table with my mom made certain meals you knew that there was going to be a fight that night pierogies <laughs> but, did you guys make pierogies because you know, you're now in, in pennsylvania I, I feel like everybody in pennsylvania has to eat pierogies oh i i was recently asked what's my favorite food and i i'm pretty sure i said pierogies um and it's just something that you can't get outside of the lehigh valley uh with with good quality but yeah growing up again it was i'm i'm the only mistake in the family so uh, i'm five years after my sister they were just going to have my three older siblings after they had me they said well you know maybe peter needs a a playmate my younger uh, twin brothers were born and after that they said oh what the heck and they had my two younger sisters but the uh again the dynamic growing up uh i mean it was a different time but sports was whatever was in season that's what we were playing and also because there were so many of us uh our mom was adamant about get out of the house yeah. So, you know, we, we learned how to play together. We learned how to play whatever was available. So I, I gave the example recently. We used to crush a can, and then we would play foot hockey. So we'd set up goals and, and just whatever to keep busy. But for sure, uh, you know, going through my, my siblings, um, my oldest brother is uh, seven years older than I am. Uh, he played college basketball at University of Scranton. 
that's a, and they went to the division three final four twice while he was in school. My, my second oldest brother uh, played football at university of Pennsylvania. So not Penn state, but the Ivy league school. Um, my older sister had great high school teams. She's five eleven. was a, a very good basketball player, but just, she said that, that was enough after high school. Um, my younger brother, uh, Gabe was a, uh, uh, scholarship player at East Tennessee State in the Southern Conference. Um, and you said my sister was a cheerleader. Well, it was actually my younger brother, Gabe's identical twin, Alex, was a, uh, a cheerleader at Penn State. And then at North Carolina, he transferred. So super athletic. He could do 10, 10 backflips in a row <laughs> where he's the only one in the family that could do that. That's um, crazy. And then uh, youngest sister uh, of note, you know, just talking about athletics, uh, my youngest sister, Mary, still has some different records at Georgetown. So she had some really um, um, good years, although as a team they didn't really uh, do much. Um, you know, when you have UConn in the league, it's, it's really tough. <laughs> Why did you go to Penn State? Why did I go to Penn State? Uh, coming up, yeah, I, I started getting letters right after an AAU tournament um, in the summer between 8th grade and ninth grade. So I, I had letters, you know, from all kinds of schools, and that doesn't mean much. But once I, I had a, a really good freshman year, and then I, I played in a, um, a tournament down in Philadelphia in between freshman year and sophomore year, where I scored 37, and every college coach was there. Uh, this is held in Conshohocken every year still. It's called the, the D'Onofrio Classic, where a lot of regional AAU teams come in. And, and after that is really when uh, things started to blow up. I got invited to the, the Nike camp as an underclassman. That's where I was teammates with uh, Rashid Wallace and Allen Iverson and uh, Jeff Shepard from Kentucky. And, and, you know, I could go on naming names, but um, that was where, hey, I, I hung tough. I, I played pre- pretty well at that. So in my eyes, you know, I, I proved to myself I, I can hang with the best, but, you know, I still got to get better. And so I, from my older siblings process of looking at schools, I, I had a great type of um, example set for me that I knew, okay, I, I have to, I have to be involved in this and not just let the colleges fight over me. I, I, I want to be, uh, you know, a part of the decision making process and not just, you know, have basketball controlling me. So I, I was whittling it down to, okay, what are the schools that one, you know, they have a great reputation for academics. Um, who are the the schools that have stability? Who are the schools that uh, have a great point guard? <laughs> I, I, I always kind of knew, like, hey, I want to play with somebody that'll pass me the ball. Right. Um, and, and also that it was in a major conference. And so I, I whittled it down uh, to one or two schools in, in all of the five major conferences, and Penn State um, was the Big Ten school. And, and that was especially looking at the other list of schools, Villanova or UCLA or Florida. Um, uh, you know, you'd say, well, why Penn State? Especially back then, there was absolutely no tradition. There was absolutely no basketball history at Penn State. They went to the Final Four in 1954. That was it. Um, and so the reason was they were joining the Big Ten. Yep. Um, Danny Earl, uh, you may know. Yeah, Danny, it's the BMI. best. Yeah. So Danny and I were, were teammates a few times in the Sunny Hill League in Philly, uh, in AAU teams. Um, and, and I knew that he was uh, committed to go there. And so that, that also helped kind of lean me in that direction. Um, but... I got to a certain point where it came down to either I'm going to stay close to home and play for Penn state, or I'm going to go to a a national powerhouse with a tradition and, and maybe, you know, 
every year have another All-American or, you know, somebody that's really good coming in at my spot. But the other choice was UCLA at that time. Hmm. Um, and at that time, it was Jim Herrick, and, and Mark Gottfried was kind of the point man for, for my recruitment. Five um, five guys, Dougie. We recruit. We play the best five guys, regardless of position. <laughs> yeah, we UCLA high South post offense, too. not the only offense, just the best, right? Like <laughs> it's a great day to be alive, Pete. Considering the alternative, that was that was that was Herrick's line when he when he called uh, you. Herrick, Herrick, I only spoke to a, a few times, but yes, I remember he had a, a certain way of speaking. Uh, but again, Godfrey was the head man for me. He was like, hey, I, I kind of identified with him. Uh, he was down to earth to me, at least. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I knew that UCLA had a great team and they had Tyus Edney yeah. to me watching him play. I was like, man, that, that'd be a great guy to run with. Um, so I, again, it, it fit a lot of the parameters that I set out for myself. And, um, when it came down to it, I just said, you know what? Penn state was the first school to officially offer me a scholarship as a sophomore. They said, we don't care if you tear your ACL, whatever happens in the next two or three years, we, we want you here. And, and that commitment early on was, was, uh, meaningful to me. Um, you have an unbelievable career at Penn State, right? Like, and for people who don't recall, like three-time All Big Ten um, at, at Penn State, you guys went to the tournament, mm-hmm. obviously in '96. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you, you what was what was Jerry like to play for? Jerry Dunn like to play for? Well, Jerry took over because the original coach was Bruce uh, Parkhill, right? Bruce Parkhill yeah. walked away a month before the season started, and and. You know, people had all kinds of conspiracy theories as why he did it. But, man, he you could tell. Like The story I give is we beat Michigan my freshman year. They, they had Ray Jackson and Jimmy King left over. But then they had uh, Maurice Taylor. They had Gerard Ward. They had an amazing team. And we beat them by 20. And there was a couple of turnovers in the, the last couple of minutes of that game. So when we came into the locker room and Bruce was livid and he was just not happy that we had beaten Michigan for the first time in history. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that story was like, man, he just was such a perfectionist. He was so stressed out, it seemed, all the time. And I think he'll admit to that. And really, that's the reason he gave, was that he just was he was burnt out. And, and there might have been some family things, too. He had gone through a divorce, and his daughter Katie was, uh, you know, splitting time between him and his mom, or her mom. So, again, Mike, uh, Bruce walked away. Jerry, who was uh, Bruce's longtime assistant, took over. And um, I'd say, you know, from that point on, I took a, a big quantum leap from my freshman year to my sophomore year in terms of my confidence. Right. There was a lot of things coming, you know, I played with all those guys, like I said, in high school and against them and, and saying, Hey, you know, I, I feel like I can do this, but then you get to college and you've got to deal with so much. I mean, from the first week of orientation to, you know, living away from mom and dad to eating the right things on a day-to-day basis um, getting to class on time, making sure you're doing your homework, getting to study hall. I mean, every day, from 6.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night, I had to be somewhere except on Sundays. And even on Sunday at night, we had study hall. So uh, my oldest brother, you know, from his time at a Division three school, he said, look, if you can handle this schedule, if you can do all of this, you'll be able to handle anything in life. And I, 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 I absolutely agree looking back at what he said to me because I, I was able to handle it. But the day after my freshman year ended, we lost in the uh, consolation game of the NIT um, I got mono mononucleosis. Yeah. So like, in other words, like I gave it everything I had and the day after I, and, and I never went out, I had no social life really my, my freshman year. I was like, all right, you know, the springtime starting, it warms up in state college above the freezing point of water. I was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm at least going to go to a frat party on a weekend. Right. 
and I get mono and I was toast. I lost 15 pounds. Um, and maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but when I, I came back from recovering from mono, I was stronger. Um, I went on a big 10 tour of Japan and, and played well under uh, Randy Ayers on that trip um, with some other good players. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I got it. I know what to do now. And so sophomore year, we had such an amazing, we had three fifth year seniors. We had such a depth of talent on the team. Calvin Booth, uh, was starting uh, after his redshirt freshman year. If, if you're not, if you know Calvin, yeah, of course, 10, 10 plus years. Well, you'll say, yeah, Glenn Secundo, who's a, who's a Syracuse transfer, is after John Amici you got, leaves. We had, right? You got it. Right. You got it. Secundo was, uh, you know, fringe NBA player. Um, you know, we had just great leadership. And, and, and again, even if Bruce left before that season started, we had just uh, a great team. I, I, I mean, looking back at it, um, the first nine players or so um, could have played professionally, um, obviously maybe not at the NBA level, but at various levels uh, beyond the NBA. And so to have that on a, a Division One basketball team, that, that says a lot. But again, uh, you know, for, for shooting, for de- defense, uh, I mean, we had the Big Ten's leading shot blocker sitting behind us. Um, he was only 205 pounds at the time. Yeah. <laughs> he still had to put on some weight. But – we we had we had a, a, a multifaceted talented team. Let me, and I was our leading scorer. Um, I really I never had to put the ball on the ground. We had a, a, a motion offense where we we passed, we moved, um, we I think we were leading the country in three point percentage that year for quite a bit of the year. And even though I had a, a bit of a downturn at the end of the year, I ended up shooting forty eight percent from three that year. So that. That led me into uh, being named Honorable Mention All-American that season. Um, I got invited to the under-22 national team tryouts, which you know was formerly the Olympic team. Um, after 92, though, it was always the pros, the Dream Team, Dream Team 2, and et cetera. Right. But uh, you know, I went out to Colorado Springs, uh, played very well in the, the three-day tryout, Played with some great point guards. So, uh, I, being a West Coast guy, Cameron Dollar, I remember they had me together with Cam, and and just for that game or two, I I made everything. And so, you know, over a bunch of guys that everybody would recognize their names, I got named to that 15 man squad. So, you know, teammates with Tim Duncan, teammates with Chauncey Billups and Paul Pierce, they're just an amazing group of guys. And you know, I'm just going along for the ride in some respects, but I'm also like, all right, I want to get better. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. When you talk about being better, what specific, when you went home and you'd work out, like what did you do to make yourself a better player? I was recreating the situation where I was uncomfortable. So, you know, being in a one-on-one on the wing with Chauncey <laughs> uh, in Colorado Springs, I remember that distinctly. Or, um, you know, catching the ball and, and here comes a guy that I know is longer than I am and, and faster than me. Well, how am I going to get an advantage I'm going to use my strength, which is my shot, and, and using fakes and angles to, to try to, again, leverage what I'm good at. And that was always, hey, if I'm open, I'm going to make the shot. So, you know, quickness, uh, lateral stuff, um, you know, those are the type of things that, especially at that point in my career, it was being able to use my strengths to help out my opportunity areas, put it like that. <laughs> you get done playing at Penn State. What, what then? What, what, how did you, like, because you became an absolutely legendary player overseas, but when you got done playing, what were your thoughts of playing stateside? What was it like when you were finished? Mm-hmm. So finishing up, uh, my senior year, we made it to the NIT Final Four. We lost in the championship game. Um, and uh, throughout those weeks, I started to kind of reach out to people to say, okay, you know, Glenn Secunda played a couple of years ahead of me. 
um, and, and had been in, in Italy doing well for himself. And uh, so, again, I was reaching out to the coaches and, and just saying, okay, what, what should I look at when I'm you know, thinking about the next steps? And so I started to get materials even before that through the mail from a bunch of agents. And so the idea was, okay, uh, I think I'm a pretty good player, but who the heck knows, right? you, you got to figure out wh- where people think you stand. And so I also was receiving letters uh, from NBA teams, so just questionnaires to say, okay, fill this out. We're interested in you potentially uh, to come in, whether whether I would be drafted or not. That wasn't uh, necessarily a question, but definitely for free agent uh, camps. But if you recall, that was 1998, and there was an NBA labor dispute <laughs> that occurred that year. So right after the day after the draft occurred, um, there was a lockout. And in that uh that period of time after my final game and uh, the draft, I had signed with an agent, uh, Herb Rudoy, based out of Chicago, who was partnered with uh, Luciano Capiccioni. And, and Lucky is and was uh, still, I believe, to today, is the, the largest agent in, in Europe. And he's the guy that brought over Arvita Sabonis, uh, Tony right. Kukoc. Uh, you know, I'd say I'd same guy. So it was a Herb Rudoy and and yep. uh, and and Lucky. Is it Luciano? Is that the guy's name? Like it was. His, it was his uh, first name's Luciano, but he goes by Lucky. Yes. Okay, yeah. Luci- uh, Luciano. Luciano. That's a great. What a great name. <laughs> yeah, he was what, great. What a, what a great. I, I, here's. Can I, can I give you? Let me give you my. So I was. What year was that? Is that ninety nine? I I graduated ninety eight. Okay, so ninety eight. So two thousand. I finish up right. Okay. And I'm kind of same thing. And so I decided pretty early on to go with Radoy. Um and it was a guy named Bill McCandless, who was like an old school mm-hmm. basketball I agent. Know Bill. I, yeah. yeah. So Bill recruited me really, really hard. And um and and their plan for me, frankly, was like, hey, look, you'll get an Israeli passport, you'll be good, mm-hmm. you, you can do this thing 15, 20 years. And when you when you get to a place to where you feel like you can you're confident you can make shots, like we'll get we'll give you shots stateside. Like, you know, we'll see. So I but in the meantime, let's have you play. I played in the USBL for you know right. for a season which is great because you played like 40 nba games and like 40 nba style games in like 50 days uh so <laughs> right. you it, it's, you know it's like a different th- and against a high level competition but a totally different brand of basketball in terms of what you learn um right the, the, the downside to that was i didn't have any workouts because that was during the time of workouts right so i'm the good thing That's is i'm playing time. against yeah. I'm playing against like grown ass men, league dudes, you know, and with league dudes, the down, Sean Colson and those types. And the downside Mm -hmm. is that I'm not doing the private workout. So I got no shot really of being drafted. Anyway, this is my Rodoy story. So that year was the year, and I want to get back to yours. So I apologize. Um, Mm -hmm. was the year they changed, they changed to a Bozeman A and Bozeman B based upon your passport. I'm very and, familiar with the Bosman A, Bosman Bs. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was a Bosman B if, with an Israeli passport. The problem Israeli. was yeah. that to play in Israel, I would have had to, I, I would have gone as a, Bo, I would have been a Bosman B, not been an Israeli during, for, for that it. year. Yeah. So it was um, because of the rule, like that's how Israel interpreted it that year. And so that means I, instead of competing against, other Israelis where I would have been more valuable uh, or able to. So anyway, um, so their plan was we're going to form a team and play in this new Euro league. And the team is going to play home games in St. Petersburg, Russia. 
and we're going to yep, train in Varese. Yeah. We're going to train in Varese, Italy. You probably should have been on that team, right? And I, so, I, I'm familiar with this team you're, you're talking about. Okay, so, um, so they're like, all right, uh, August 14th camp starts. And I'm like, cool, I'm getting married in August. He's like, all right, honeymoon in, in Italy, right? That was what Bill McCandless said. So, or maybe it was like August 16th, whatever. So we get married. We fly to Chicago because that's where Herbert is located. And right. my wife always wanted to go to a Cubs game. And so, and this is when Sammy was big. We, we, we land, we take a nap, we go to a Cubs game. Sunday Night Baseball against the Reds, Ken Griffey Jr. Sammy actually tosses a ball to me. And, you know, he tossed the ball, you know, before every inning. But there's a little six-year-old yeah. girl or something that had a sign up that said, Sammy, all I want for my sixth birthday is a baseball. So I had to give it to her. Like, right, you can't get that guy. ball. Right. So anyway, so the next day, like, Herbert is like, hey, come and have lunch with me. You know, some mm-hmm. spectacular restaurant in Chicago. So we go, we sit down, wine is poured, amazing, and... Uh, this is going to be great. Uh, hey, I, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is uh, camp's not for two weeks, so you guys can go on a honeymoon and do whatever you want. The bad news is that you can't take your wife with you when you go to training camp because you're going to room with another guy. And I was like, Correct. Herb, right. with all due respect, like I just got married. I don't have any money. And now I don't have a fucking honeymoon planned. Like, are you, are you kidding me? And then, hey, I'm going to Italy and you can't come? Like, yeah, that, that landed well. So that, that, was, that was my first couple days of, of marriage. I'll tell you more about, about that team in, in a moment. Okay, so, so uh, Rodoy and Lucky decide, all right, you're going to play overseas. Uh, where was your first job? My first job... Um, was in Treviso, Italy, which happens to be the hometown of my grandmother, my Italian grandmother's family. So, uh, and, and at that time, still Benetton Treviso was one of the top five organizations in all of Europe. So I looked at it as a great opportunity to play, you know, especially with the lockout, you know, to, to go to free agent camps or play in the NBA summer leagues was um, on my radar. But if they weren't happening, uh, the number one pick of that draft, Michael Olawakandi, was also playing in Italy that season to start out anyway. So again, I looked at it as, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to do this. But uh, the great thing about it was that, yes, um, I was in a great place, a great organization. And my first two years of that contract were guaranteed and maybe not millions of dollars for uh, your typical NBA contract or, you know, the NBA minimum, but not, not too far off. So, um, you know, I started off in Treviso. I, Again, uh, played for a great organization. Their GM, uh, Maurizio Gherardini, still is one of the top GMs in Europe, uh, has taken um, teams to the early championship. Um, he was with the Toronto Raptors for a number of years, uh, but then came back to Europe. And my head coach that year was Zeliko Obradovic, who is the most successful uh, FIBA coach probably in all of history, if you look him up. So, again, I, I got there, uh, didn't know what to expect, like you said, there's a lot of things that you just don't know until you go through it, and a lot of things in Europe, uh, you'd say it's not professional, right? <laughs> there's things that are just not reasonable where, um, you know, if we did it in the States, uh, uh, people would really complain. There you just have to say, well, I'm across the pond. What am I going to do about this? And that really comes into play with, again, a lot of uh, dynamics in a, a quote-unquote professional sports organization. And there's just some yeah, dudes I, that can't, can't hang. Right, like that's one of the things uh, about oh, big time. Yeah, I, my my first month. First of all, it was one of the hottest Augusts 
um, in Italian history. They don't have air conditioning there. So just sleeping at night and I'm sticking to my sheets. I have my front door and my bedroom window wide open just to create a draft. Um, and also the entire country of Italy takes the month off in August for San Agostino, which is a holiday where all shops and, and most restaurants close down. So to to get through that <laughs> took a lot of, I'd say, mental fortitude that uh, for a lot of Americans, I'd say, the heck with this. What am I doing here? But I just said, hey, they, they just gave me a few million Italian lira in an envelope to, for, for pl- being here to play basketball. So, yeah, yeah it was. I, I, I'll never forget. For sure. So so my team was the St. Petersburg Lions. Mm-hmm. I am familiar with this team. I think you play with some of my ex-teammates like Marco Virginella if you did go. Um, yeah, I, so I, I went to yeah. So Keith Jennings was on the team. Derek Hamilton. Yep. So those are the two Americans. Keith Hamilton yep. and uh, 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 Keith Hamilton and uh, excuse me, Derek Hamilton and Keith Jennings. Mister Jennings, if people remember from East Tennessee State in the NBA, East Tennessee, like right? my brother. Yeah. So so I I never forget though. I I get there and we're staying at this cool kind of hotel overlooking Lake Cuomo in Italy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, this is pretty amazing, right? And. Like, these two dudes are old pros, old vets. So they have DVDs. Like, we watch Belly. Like, every, every like, cool black movie I watch five times over on, their, on like, a DVD <laughs> player that I borrowed from them. And then, yeah, there was uh, – uh, who else was there that you would know? Um, uh, I think Stasich played. Step, Stefan Stasich. Yeah, Stefan Stasich uh, played. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was young, I think, at the time. He's um, young and he's, he's an idiot, but, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's yes. another story. That's right. That that's a good yeah. that's a good memory. We were we were two of the the young guys. Uh right. but he had played a little bit in Italy in Treviso before that, right? So did he play mm-hmm. with you? No, that was before you. Yes, my first year Stazic, Stazi as I called him and I were both, you know, rookies along with uh, Billy Despaltra who played at Vanderbilt. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. How did you it's a Small small basketball. Yeah, so world. so so here's my here's my kind of nightmare scenario, right? So, and I don't know if I've told this story in a podcast. So, um, so uh, Lucky's running the team. I'm talking with Bill McCandless, obviously, and Herbert Doy. And the idea of the team was, we're going to have you play in this Euro League, uh, in this Supro League, right, for right. maybe half the season. And when you guys don't make it to advance, everybody's going to get picked up and play elsewhere. In the meantime, Correct. like... Right. In the meantime, like, we're paying you, but we're actually paying you out of the money you're paying us. So it kind of, like, works out. It's kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod deal. And so it wasn't very much money. Like, it was, like, 50 grand for half the year or something. Um, so I had to go get my Israeli passport. So I train, and the coach was uh, some Yugoslavian dude, uh, Vakosevic, Vakosevic or whatever. And I thought he was pretty cool. I don't think he liked me because I was a little guard, and he liked big guards, except for Mr. Jennings because he played in the NBA. And... Uh, but, like, we practiced behind-the-back passes. There was, like, all kinds of shit that I was like, damn, like, this is kind of cool. Um, they have so some great I fl- yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I fly to Israel to get my Israeli passport. I land. I'm exhausted. I've been doing two-a-days and scrimmages with this, this team, you know. I mean, yeah, hardcore Yugoslavian sure. dudes are working out. So love, I land in Israel, and this, uh, I meet with this uh, older and younger Israeli agent. And they're like, okay, now we're going to take you to basically like immigration and you're going to get your Israeli passport. So I wait in this long line. I got all my paperwork and they didn't really tell me anything. And I get to the front of the line and they're like, um, okay, you have to go in this room and you're meeting with the director. So I meet with the director of like, 
Aliyah, which making Aliyah means you're like becoming an Israeli citizen, dual citizenship. And I sit down and the woman says, Mr. Gottlieb, where do you live? And I was like, well, currently I reside in Varese, Italy. She's like, currently? It was like, well, I moved there from from Stillwater, Oklahoma, and now I'm playing professional. Like, I was just being honest, right? Like, I didn't know I was supposed right. to fucking You're lie or anything. Yeah, the data. Right. So, and, and she's like, when do you plan to live in Israel? I was like, oh, and now all of a sudden now the wheels start spinning, and I was like, well, it's the day the season is over, then I'm going to come and live in Israel, and I'd like to play in Israel, but, you know, I, I need to start the process of Aliyah and get my passport. And she was like, this is not, you must live in Israel for one year. While obtaining Aliyah, I was like, what? And so, like, I get basically right there, like, also my life passed before my eyes. I can't be Israeli anywhere. And they had been telling me I could play everywhere as an Israeli. So then they take me from that very moment. They're like, I tell them what happened. And like, oh, shit, maybe you got to play in Israel. They take me to a practice uh, for a pro A team in Israel. And like, again, remember, I've, I've had like a cup of coffee. I mean, I maybe had some Danish or something like that when I landed. You're right. And, and now they're like, hey, you must go play and show yourself. And I, my head's spinning. I don't, you know, I hadn't called my wife and told her what was happening. And, you know, she's thinking we're moving to maybe Russia, maybe Italy. I don't know what she's, you know, what's even going on. And so I, I, I wasn't very good. Um, so like, and like, that was like a, 30 grand, 40 grand a year job, some shitty job in Israel. And then I had to fly back to Varese, Italy. And when I landed, like nobody picked me up. I took a cab to Varese and then I walked to the hotel. Like I feel like just the, the most beaten man. Then it starts raining, like it literally starts raining. And then what had been entertaining was the, the bus driver that would drive us from practice to the hotel and back, you know? Like it was entertaining mm-hmm. for a long time that like he would, at the at Varese's practice site, they had a bar, and he would have a couple of drinks, and he would be swerving sure. like on the, like, and you were just like ah, you know, like we're not, it's not on a, we'll be fine. But now all of a sudden, like now I gotta, so now I like, I go to my room, I put my stuff back down, I take a shower, and now I got practice, and I get in the bus with some fucking drunk bus driver, knowing that I'm gonna get cut because they can't keep three Americans, and right. you know I'm, they're not gonna they're not gonna keep me and get rid of Mister Jennings, you know who's like a million dollar dude, like that's not gonna happen. I was just in a right. bad place, and then I flew home, and uh, and I actually had during my time in Italy, I had left and done a, gone to Lakers vet mini camp and flown back. And I thought the coach kind of thought, uh, thought it was a douchey move, even though it was set up by my agent and everything. Um, right. Anyway, I flew home from Milan to Los Angeles and I was literally in, or maybe to New York. And I was literally in like the very, very back all the way to the right seat. Like, mm-hmm. and there was no armrest on, on the, the window side. <laughs> and I'm like, if this isn't the if this isn't the end, like I don't, if this isn't bottom of the barrel, I don't know what it's like. <laughs> oh, I okay, got worse so for, than that for you. <laughs> you do go. Give me your give me your worst story. <laughs> oh gosh, no, it's well. I played eleven years, Doug. So that first year was one of the most professional years, and and I, you know, we got picked up. We had a deal with Nike uh, Benetton Treviso. The Benetton is a, a worldwide uh, fashion. Um, brand that uh, again we had beautiful suitcases they gave us and suits so wonderful experience uh, my next team that I played for was in Switzerland beautiful country wonderful place 
but the basketball was absolutely horrendous. We took bus rides everywhere on the day of the game. <laughs> so, you know, we, my first game ever was uh, on Lake Geneva uh, uh, in a town called Blonay, and uh, it's near, near Geneva. We, we leave at uh, 6 in the morning. People, you know, I'm looking at my teammates, again, coming from Treviso where we flew most places, um, and if we did take a bus ride, we went there the day before the game got adjusted to the city and the hotel and then, you know, had shoot around uh, the morning of the game. But again, Switzerland, first game in Switzerland, I'm playing in front of 27 fans uh, in this rinky-ding gym. And um, my one teammate from Russia, 6'10", Igor Korachov, he forgot his shoes. <laughs> There's no manager with some extra shoes like we had at Penn State. <laughs> so he had to borrow some shoes from one of our teammates who also happened to wear size 16s. So, you know, no there's things way. like that, uh, just starting, you know, from one of the first crazy stories of, where it starts to lose some of that quote-unquote professional uh, metal <laughs> to the to the uh, the experience, but man, I, I got so many from over the years that uh, from especially not being paid on time. I mean, that happened all the time. Teams would come up with excuses. We just don't have liquidity now, or you know, you we need you to go sign something at the bank and and then we'll pay you later. Um, you know, I, I could go on and on about the the unprofessional parts of my experience, but it was you know, I think you know was, the regret. Yeah, here, here's one. Here's one. So I was playing in Israel. And I was playing for Maccabi Renana and uh, Sharon Drucker, mm-hmm. who I actually thought was a good coach, but he had coached my buddy Miles. So what's also interesting is that same trip where I, I went and I worked out for one team, then like I was kind of stuck in Israel for a couple of days, and my, my best friend in basketball is Miles Simon, who's now an assistant with the Lakers. Yeah. And I, I Miles, was, yeah. Miles was playing in Maccabi Renana. And so I went and stayed with him, and I was going to maybe practice with them or whatever, because uh, I had played the Maccabi games uh, or no, I was going to play in the Maccabi games, I think, that next summer or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, so um, so I, I remember, so I, 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 when I played for Maccabi, um, all, I'd look at my check, and I think, I don't know what I was making, like seven or eight a month or something like that, and it wouldn't be the exact number, and the number would have this great variance, <laughs> and it would be, uh, say you're making, making $8,000 a month, right? And right. it's supposed to be just $8,000 cash into your account, wired into your account on the first of every month. And then all of a sudden, like, okay, it w- wouldn't come in until it was the fourth or the fifth. And instead of being $8,000, it would be 7512 you know? <laughs> and then one month, it would be 7613 And then one month, it would were be 7000 Were they 7, doing currency adjustments? Yes. Yes. Uh, and they were like... Yeah. And they, I, I and, learned those and, games. I learned those games, and I, I was I, unbe- I was like, "Are you don't so this, this. this <laughs> right?" So this is why this is what this. So I, I left that team in March, and here's why. So what happened was the year before, like I said, Miles was on the team. They actually played in Euroleague, and they overspent, and you know, so the you know budget was tight. Whatever budgets are, the budget is very tight, Mister Gottlieb. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, so, you know, I'm playing and I was the way in Israel. So then I'm playing as an Israeli and we had two Americans, Corey Carr, Jesse Salters. Corey Carr got hurt. We brought over Adrian Peterson, my teammate from college. So that was great. But he was supposed to get his own apartment. He lived with us. He was supposed to get in his own car. He shared my car until I left. But it was like so shady. Um, oh, can and then I give you a had, quick car story? Yeah, go. Uh, Jason Capel. Um, so Jeff Capel's brother, who played at North Carolina, uh, Jeff played at Duke. 
Jason Capel, six foot eight. Uh, my third last season overseas, we were teammates in Avellino, Italy, and I was living in a hotel for a few months, but that's uh, besides this car story. Um, but it is tied because Jason lived down the street from the hotel. He drove a smart car, <laughs> and he had yeah. to pick me up every day for the five weeks that we were teammates. He got hurt and ended up uh, leaving Avellino. I inherited his smart car, but every day, six foot eight, uh, Jason Capel would pick me up, six, three and a half. And then we also had to put our gym bags in there somehow. And, and we, we, we did it with flying colors for, for about five weeks. That's, <laughs> a, that, that's, a, that's amazing. So I, I got my car. There was a guy named Guidon Bailey. Guidon was our equipment manager. And he got brings it. me these keys to this car. And uh, I still can't. I got to remember what the kind of car it was. It's like, I mean, it's basically a piece of shit. I can't. I, so <laughs> he brings me the keys. He goes, good lib. No quick. I was like, what? Gottlieb, no. He's like doing the driving thing. No quick. It's like, oh, don't drive don't fast. fast. No, no quick. <laughs> it's like, okay, no problem. You don't like the car was, there's a mouse inside pedaling. That, that's how that thing went. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I, I go to them. I was like, what is the deal? They're like, Gottlieb, Gottlieb, you are Israeli now. This is this is normal. We do based upon like <laughs> the the the, the you know, like the the currency adjustment. I was like, what? They would wait until the currency was in their favor, and then that's when they would wire the money just to save you know a couple hundred bucks. I mean, sometimes it was like yeah. honestly like a hundred bucks. And I was like, are you fucking? So my last conversation with the president of the club, um, you know, I had a team in the ABA that wanted me to come back and play. And, you know, I was getting ready to go play back in the USBL in Oklahoma and make a I get overpaid to play on that thing because I was a little bit of a draw. And this and I go to the president of the club and I was like, listen, and so I had because I was Israeli, I had a 10 month contract as opposed to everybody else had an eight month contract. Like everybody else would be tightened up the last day of the regular season. You'd have to be paid everything. Right. And then if you go to the playoffs, you got bonus. stretched out. Yeah. They yeah. Mine too. would have been May and June. And like, we were like in fourth or fifth place and only the top four teams went to the playoff. And right. we could have been done in April and I would have had to stay in May and June. And then if I would have had to stay, I would have had to go to like basic training. And I was like, fuck that. I'm mm-hmm. out of here. <clears throat> so, so I go to the president of the club and I was like, listen, if you, this is where you talk about being professional. If you will give me your word as a man that you will pay me every dollar that I'm owed on that contract, I will stay, I will work, I, have, I will not say another word about money. And he's like, right. good lib, we will do the best that we can. I was like, no, 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 that's not, no, that's, uh, that's that's not, not the answer you're looking for. That's not the answer. <laughs> I said, just give, me, just give me your word as a man. Look me in the eye. And give me, you don't have to sign a piece of paper and say, as a man, I'm going to get you every penny that you're owed. You say that, I'm here. He's like, we will do the best that we can. It is a very difficult time. And I was like, okay, March 1st is my last game. I will be flying out of Ben Gurion and I will arrange travel and you guys will pay for it, right? So that's, I got paid on March. I made sure the money went through March 1st, you know, and then I got on a plane and I flew home. So that was, that, that's how my Israeli career ended. So. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. 
tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with Ryobi's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Do you ever get in a fight? Do you ever get in a fight? Multiple fights. Multiple fights. Um, and I am not a big fighter, but I will defend myself. And I can start to rattle off names, but um, the one that comes to mind is, and there were Americans involved, but I, I'm watching uh, uh, Byron Mouton, who won a national championship sure. in Maryland. So um, anyway, Byron's on the floor in, in Bamberg, Germany getting pummeled and already we've been getting screwed by the refs the whole game. And I come over and all I do is separate. I, I push away the guys from the other team. I get punched. I'm the one that got kicked out of the game. And I'm the one that has the entire arena throwing shit at me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that one. And then I was up for suspension for a few games. And I said, just look at the video. Look at the video. I didn't do anything. Eventually I was, I was vindicated, but yeah, I, I definitely had, a number of fights over there because especially from country to country, the, the officiating can be completely drastically different. And in Poland, for example, 
you can get away with murder. They they just you can throw elbows, you can set completely illegal picks, and it's just part of the game. And that does lead to some physical <laughs> altercations. That yeah, multiple times over my career, I had some good do fights. You, do you get um, the sense? Do you, do you? I don't know if you get the sense. I always felt like, and I still feel this way. I don't think they respect the way we play basketball. I think there's a, a bit of a and 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 to a certain extent they might actually be right. Like, you know, we make this big thing about the redeem team, and we they were challenged by Spain. There's no way anybody who's picking teams would ever pick anybody on the Spanish team ahead of anybody in the American team. But they still made sure. it very very competitive. And look, there's some right. dirty shit. They do that dirty Euro shit, you know, where they're sneaky physical and sneaky cheap or whatever. But I always felt like there's like they respect the talent and athleticism, but they don't actually respect the way in which we play basketball. And um, that's why when you come over, like they they almost thumb their nose at you unless you want to do it their way. You're you're hitting on a, a big uh, nail on the head that's. There are number a number of rules that they interpret different, and then two, they they started to have American coaches coming over in the seventies and eighties that um, helped influence some of the um, culture of basketball in some of the countries. But then they started to get some money and sponsors behind the professional team. So then you started to get bigger and brighter minds coming up with ideas. And especially in Lithuania, especially in Serbia and the Yugoslavian republics, they had coaches that they took these, this American game and definitely uh, tweaked it. And, and I'd say, like you alluded to, I think in some ways very positively. And that is spacing. And that is a, the, the idea of the team is stronger than the individual. And that, growing up, you know, AAU was not like it is today. But still, you had to make a name for yourself coming up. And the way you do that is when you actually have the ball and then try to do something, right? Right. Uh, you know, how much of the game in basketball do you actually not have the ball? It's a lot. What do you do without the ball is something they, they harp on. Um, but again, back to the officials, walking, traveling, you may not make a pump fake, a shot fake, and, and put the ball on the floor um, like we do on the same side. That, that is a travel. You cannot right. catch the ball on a fast break and then take a step and throw it in front of you, that's a travel. There's all these little uh, nuanced uh, calls that I learned in the, those first few weeks where I'm like, that's not a travel. No, no, that's a travel here. Um, so, again, other things, too, like the three-second call, they really enforce it over there. Like, they, they call it at 2.99 <laughs> or, or less. And, um, you know, again, it's uh, getting back to your point. The coaches, yes, like, they have their drills. They have their style practicing twice a day every day in the preseason and then even during the season you may have a day off but we would still have to come into the gym to do rehab or, or to do some type of uh, um, you know activity for the for the purpose of the team so there were some teams I just I didn't have days off and that would be for you know nine months straight ten months so it's a different experience there they they do structure the whole season and a lot of the physical stuff on soccer so there's not as much power lifting in the weight room um, there's a lot more flexibility. And some of that, again, I think there was positive ideas that they had. Um, and then back to the uh, strategy on the court, um, you know, there's the, the, the Serbian way is use the whole shot clock, and then there's only one or two guys that are allowed to shoot. And they move the ball left and right, 
in and out. And, you know, that, that's, that is fundamental basketball. If you talk about Lithuanian coaches um, or even like Mike D'Antoni and the Italian coaches, um, they, they play fast and we're just going to outscore you. And so as soon as you've got an open shot and everybody's expected to be a decent shooter, we want you to put it up and then we're going after the rebound. So there, there definitely were different styles from, from place to place, and they wanted you to adjust to them, that was for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite coach you ever played for? Um, my, my second coach, Franco Casolini. So I mentioned Mike D'Antoni. Franco coached Mike D'Antoni in Milan when Milan won the Euroleague Championship back in the 70s, I believe it was and uh, maybe early 80s. But, but Franco was a little guy from Milan. I can't imagine he played basketball at a high level because he's only about five foot four. But the guy was a genius and was such a player's coach. And for the two seasons I played for him, I, I just had a blast. And he gave me the ball. He said, look, you maybe didn't play much point guard in your life, but you can be a point guard. And when I tell my Penn State teammates or some others – who knew my handle wasn't that tight <laughs> growing up. They said, get out of here. But Franco said, look, you can do it. Now, like you said, the European guards, different than Mr. Jennings, are typically bigger and just use their bodies. You know, if there is a shorter back, guy. Back, back a guy in to get into the half court, yeah. Yeah, so just get it up the court and then run the offense. And, and again, that's the typical Euro point guard. He said, I think you can do it. And it really expanded my game. I, I really wish, you know, in some ways, from the basketball experience, I, I had more of a chance to do that at a younger age. Um, but again, we won a couple of championships together. And uh, you could tell, like, he was at the end of his coaching career. He never coached after that final season with me in 2000. But I looked him up. I didn't even know this when I was playing for him, but maybe it's because the Internet was such a novel thing at that time. He had such success in Milan um, and he also coached in Rome. So those are two of the biggest teams in Italy. They, he coached Dino Raja. He coached uh, Bob McAdoo in Milan. So, you know, Franco was an amazingly accomplished coach, and I was lucky enough to have him for two seasons and just had a lot of fun with him. Um, how did you keep up with everything in the States? Like, I feel like now it's a lot easier with guys. Sure, in Israel, sure. you had ESPN. In Russia, we didn't have anything. In France... You know, I was only in France for a month and a half. I had my first year of broadcasting, and I went and played in France to try and get a team from Pro B to Pro A, and that was a great experience playing for a young coach. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. but, but I, I, I really struggled to know anything, and I think that's one of the things, not just absorbing the culture and the language differences, whatever, because a lot of guys are like, fuck it, I'm just playing ball, and then you go out at night, and the, the cultural <laughs> stuff doesn't bother What does bother them, though, is they have no idea. They come back, and they have no idea about anything that's taken place. I know that's changed. Well, How did you keep uh, up I, with it? I have a, a couple of vignettes to uh, paint the picture. I remember coming home, it was one of my first years overseas. And when I'd come home, I, I usually was on a different time frame. You know, my, the jet lag, I'm, I'm waking up at uh, four in the morning and I'm wide awake. So uh, I remember whatever year old school came out with uh, Will Ferrell, um, <laughs> I had not heard anything about this movie. I went in with completely open eyes and mind. I rented it the night before at Blockbuster, hoping to watch it that night, but I fell asleep at like eight o'clock, seven o'clock even. Um, because of the time change. When I wake, wake up the next morning, I'm at my parents' house downstairs. Everybody is upstairs asleep. And I'm watching old school, not knowing how great of a movie it was, 
and I was laughing belly laughs out loud and woke up everybody at five in the morning. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh, I, I didn't know it was going to be this funny of a movie. I hadn't heard of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just was enjoying it again on a VHS tape back in whatever year that was. And, and like you said, um, when I was over there to keep up, I, the internet had just really started getting going, um, when I was in college. So I, I really tried to read as much as I could of the news, but there was a lot of pop culture stuff like that movie. Uh, I remember Britney Spears too. Like I had no idea what the heck this was. And there was a lot of examples of that over the, the 11 years where I'd come home and people were talking about a certain celebrity or an event, and I'd say, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, it was fine. Like, I'm okay. I'll, I'll be all right not knowing about all these things that are fairly frivolous. But, um, yeah, the Internet helped. I can't imagine doing what I did for 11 years if it happened without email and without the access um, that I did over the years, especially with Skype. Uh, Yahoo Messenger was ahead of Skype, um, and yeah. then it kind of fell off. But I remember using Yahoo Messenger, and it was super clunky to use the video mode. And to be able to see somebody on the other side of the ocean was amazing. And that was maybe like in 2000, 2001. So, yeah, I, I definitely kept up with the technology um, in terms of trying to keep in touch with my family, trying to keep in touch with my friends, and just knowing what was going on in the world. But definitely things slipped through the cracks like Britney Spears in old school. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember. I, I was. I was into. I didn't know the Britney thing, or whatever. And I was kind of into it when it came out. I remember getting Russian bootlegs of everything. Oh yeah, um, sure. You know, like they would have the. I, I also would. They. They have. I, I can't tell you how many movies I watched on buses in Russia, where. Mm -hmm. They would have the Russian dubbed over, but you could still mm -hmm. hear the English kind of. It was so cheap, and it was all <laughs> oh, I hated that. That's the worst. Uh, and I had teams with players most of the time that spoke English. And so, if you were in a place, Italy is very adamant about protecting their language. So, on the Italian bus, we knew it had to be an Italian language. But if at all possible, especially when DVDs came out. Can we get it with English subtitles, please? <laughs> so that was always a fight. But once DVD started to become more popular, um, I remember in ninth, no, what was it, two thousand one, two thousand two season, I had a, a VCR in my TV, um, and I was able to play DVDs that I rented from the Blockbuster in Como, Italy. I would go across the border and come back to Switzerland, Lugano, and I would I would play the DVD. And then I would tape it with the English subtitles, but with Italian language. And I did that for the team when we took those bus rides um, back and forth to away games, which almost always were in the French part of Switzerland, which was a four to five hour bus ride at the, at the minimum. <laughs> so, yeah, fun stuff. It's, it's interesting, though, how we could we could get through that stuff now because we don't have a uh, because because now you have cell phones. Right. Whereas well, everybody can do it on their own. Yeah, we didn't. We couldn't do it on our own back then. If you had a computer with a DVD player, which came about later in the two thousands, um, yeah, you could sit there and watch your movie. So my last few years of my uh, career, I could just watch whatever I wanted on my computer. But that wasn't the case in the first five six years. Yeah, mm. we had to work together. <laughs> what do you think of the so What well. do you think of the NBA now? Oh gosh, I, just, I talk about the NBA all the time, especially these last couple of weeks with uh, with the bubble. Um, look, I mean, that was always my dream, right? I mean, I grew up a Sixers fan. I, I loved Dr. J and Andrew Tony, um, and then I kind of morphed into a Knicks fan. So you know, always getting crushed by the Bulls, but a Ewing and Oakley fan. Um, 
and 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 again, as a player, you always want to shoot for the, the the highest level you could possibly get to. And so, over the years, I've, I've played with and against a ton of guys that got got the chance um, that, that played in the NBA. But the game has changed, and that's not just at the NBA level, but especially at the NBA level, it has changed. And I, I give the example that I was talking to a buddy of mine that played college basketball last night. We were talking about that that uh, Blazers game last night, which was incredible. Um, you watch these guys, and the shooting was incredible. I, I've not seen shooting like that at all. Like I, That was one of the most amazing shooting displays I've seen in a long time, if ever. Um, but when you watch guys, and I, I, I'm not going to criticize, because they're just going by what's allowed, but they carry the ball. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to do that. If I could have, I, I would have been able to get by guys, because if you pause your dribble and act like you're going to shoot, I remember Stefan Marbury doing that with his left hand. He'd pull it up, he'd bring his right hand over as if he was going to go into a shot, and then he'd cross over. But he did it so smoothly and quickly and low to the ground, he got away with it back in the 90s. Um, again, nowadays, guys are constantly pausing, and then they continue their dribble, and then they continue their dribble. And if you're somebody like LeBron, or you're somebody as quick as Damian Lillard, like that's a tremendous advantage. And then on top of that, uh, yes, they can sort of play zone now. I would have loved to have seen the 2-3 zone that I saw the Lakers playing uh, briefly uh, the other night. Um, but, yeah, that wasn't allowed back when we were coming up. Um, and, and, again, how is it different now? And what do I, I love watching, but it is a different game. When you got somebody like James Harden that uh, can you just spread it out, you know, four, four guys around the, the three-point line and then one, roam, one roaming uh, athletic inside guy. Um, it's, it's, for me, I, I don't mind it because it's, to me, he's a genius, but I also miss the old days of, you know, the, the 80s and 90s of the, the, the Pistons, the, the Knicks, the Bulls, um, the Lakers. I mean, those, those were the teams I grew up on and, and that style of play. Yeah. No, I mean, Harden's a – most people I know who, are, who played say, well, I think Harden's awesome. I hate watching him play basketball just because, uh, you know, it's just too, many, and like, it's just too much dribbling. It's just, just too much. Like there's there's a there's a happy medium there, and he crosses over the happy medium. Sure, from from a spectator's perspective, yeah, like it's not enjoyable to watch. But his coach D'Antoni, I think with Nash, you know, he said, "Look, I got this guy that can get an advantage off a of pick and roll, and he's going to find the best option." And so he implemented that. He kept the floor spread, and they just did it every every time with Amar Stoudemire over and over and over again, right? So here he has James Harden. He says, all right, who else do we got? We got some shooters. James, every time, get an advantage with the ball and find us our best, best option. So he normally doesn't get a pick on the ball. He just, you know, it, it, for me, D'Antoni, again, I, knowing that Franco was my, my favorite coach, I, I watched D'Antoni, and he's just saying, all right, what's our most efficient way of, of trying to get a bucket here? But for me as a spectator, yeah, it's – it's not the traditional way. <laughs> it's not the traditional game, um, but it is a way that you can be successful. I just don't think you can win a championship that way because eventually, you know, and, you're going to get to the end of the game, and um, you know, team defense. Well, I, 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 well I, I think it's team defense. I also think that it exhausts your. But like, one of oh, yeah. the reasons James Harden doesn't exhausting. play defense is because he's exhausted. He's like, tired. there's just no. You can't <laughs> right. Like, and yeah. it. it it gets harder and harder and the defense gets better and better and you can be in awesome shape and he is in incredible shape now as opposed to there have been times early in the season a couple years ago when he was messing with one of the Kardashians he wasn't in great shape but I just it's an exhausting to when you're when you're trying to beat your guy 
that yeah. that higher percentage of time with that volume, not just of possessions, but percentage of t- time in a possession when when you have the basketball. Like I just, well, I, it's an exhausting take, thing, and so take, he's too tired take, to play defense. Absolutely. Look, my high school team. I can say. You could have given me the ball in every possession, and I, at that point, you know, in terms of the t- competition level in in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania, you could give me the ball, and physically, I could get an advantage because I was a little taller than the average high school player in that area. I was a little more athletic. On the national scale, no, like you know, I, I got into a role and in, in a style of play where run me off of a bunch of picks, get me open, or I dish it into the post. Uh, there's some type of uh, head turn. I relocate. I'm going to make the open shot, but. To, to take what you just said about the, the style of play, that, to me, started with AI. That started with just give the ball to AI, maybe sometimes Aaron McKee, and just let them do something. And then we'll, we'll put somebody like uh, uh, Theo Ratliff in the back on defense and, and get a bunch of other guys that are you know relatively good shooters but good defenders. And so that that's a, that's a great that's a great point. And that formula worked for them one year, right? They got to the, that, one year. That, 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 <laughs> one team year. Was, that team was built... Um, the Celtics a couple years ago were kind of built the same way with Isaiah Thomas, where you have sure. one guy and right. you give him the ball and you're like, hey, just go get as many buckets as you can. Meanwhile, you have four other dudes that are just junkyard dogs on defense, and that's how go. we'll yeah. that's how we'll make up for it. And it did, you know, it has occasionally worked It'll in the East, games. obviously in the West. It'll win you some yeah. games. It'll win you some games, but to, to win a championship, um, I think, you know, going back to it, it was on TV, so everybody saw it, but I always thought this. Jordan was so unstoppable. But even when he could score whatever he scored against the Celtics, like that may not win the game or the series for you when you play that style. And so when they did put in the triangle offense, which with Franco, uh, we also did that uh, under him a little bit. And I saw how, yeah, like if you got guys that can shoot, that move without the ball, you don't know on the defensive end, uh, you know, our opponents, they don't know where we're going to hit them. We don't, I mean, we're not, we don't know where we're going to hit you. We're going to see what you give us. And eventually, that will win, to me, a more consistent amount of games and give you a chance at championships. Because, again, the other team, when you play in those seven-game series, they're going to adjust. They're going to say, all right, we're going to take this away this game and, and make these other guys beat us. And I, I can say back to when I was trying to, in certain levels of competition in high school, you eventually run out of gas, and, and you just can't do it. And, and it's better to have other options where the defense doesn't know that, hey, this time, that's the guy that's going to get the shot. That's the guy that's going to get the back door um, or, you know, the post up. And again, it's, it, that is a, a, a more consistent way of winning for sure. And then that's what the Serbians and, and all those European coaches, they, they do harp on that. Like, let's, let's move this around and, and not be as, as predictable as the American game. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. It's it's uh it's absolutely fascinating. Um, okay, last last thing, um, give me a guy who, whether he's Lehigh Valley guy or Pennsylvania guy, who doesn't get as much respect. Uh, like, look, you're a guy who had a great career. If I was to bring up to average basketball fan, like, hey man, that dude, that dude reminds me of Pete Lasicki. They're like, who's Pete Lasicki? Like, really? Like, he was like three time All Big Ten. Like, he was a baller. He played forever overseas. Like, Pete. Le- so, ball guys know. Okay, give me one other guy like that. That that wh- whether I should have on or should be brought up in conversation. That man, this guy was a tremendous player. Gosh, that's a tough one. I mean, so if you ask that question. Um, the guys that I immediately think of are the ones in Europe that you're not going to bring them on the show because they maybe don't speak English that well. But there were so many guys in Europe that were just, they were NBA starters, but because they made their $2 million a year and they were comfortable in the city that they were living in and in their, their role, you never heard of them. Um, if I go back to uh, your question and, and to think of somebody, um, you know, growing up or, or you know, that, uh, Geez, that's a tough one. You should have given that one to me earlier. Uh, <laughs> um, look, you know, uh, thinking of teammates, right? So maybe I can go with somebody like Marcus Green. So Marcus Green played at St. Bonaventure. He's uh, from Norristown, Pennsylvania. He's five foot seven, 
okay? Uh, a lot of guys that I played with or against, it didn't matter what their size was. So uh, John Linehan, another guy from PA, um, yeah. uh, what's his name? Shantae Rogers. I mean, these guys were all under 5'8", five, five, okay? And all of them, especially overseas, they made names for themselves because, like I said, most of those European teams couldn't go, they, they, they couldn't counteract that uh, very well. The, the guy that could get into the lane, the guy that could just put full-court pressure on the entire game. And so back to maybe Marcus, um, you know, he's, he's a good buddy of mine. We were teammates for one year in Italy. That season we were together, we won the Italian Cup, uh, totally outperformed what expectations were for that small-town team in Avellino. Uh, Marcus went on to play in Fenerbahce in Istanbul, um, play for some big teams all across Europe. But people, they wouldn't know his name. But if you look up some highlight reels of Marcus, um, he could absolutely take over games for many, many years over the course of his, gosh, I think he played 12 or 13 years, maybe more. So, uh, again, I, I, I could ter- certainly uh, get back to you on that one. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's guys like Kenny Mitchell. I was teammates with Kenny. He played at Dartmouth. Um, if you look him up, he's now the chief marketing officer for Snapchat. So to think, like, he and I were teammates in, in a couple of seasons in summertime AAU. And Lefty uh, could shoot it pretty well, but just great to play with because he always found me, right? I'll always be, uh, you know, fond memories of somebody that will pass me the ball. But to think that, you know, he's a Dartmouth all-time assist leader, and I love playing with him, but he stopped his career. He got his MBA at Dartmouth. And now look at his career as a, a college grad and, and got his master's that, gosh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that go into college to play basketball, and they're not thinking like that. They're all thinking what, what I tried to do, what you tried to do, and that is, hey, see if I can make some money with this game. But, uh, again, I think of somebody like Kenny, he'd be awesome to talk to, uh, along with Marcus, because, you know, they're, they're different trajectories from uh, a standpoint of a success on the court and then, you know, the fact that you maybe never heard of them, but, man, like, they've, they've accomplished a lot. Okay, so that, that actually lends to my last question, which is this. There's, there's, there's this belief from people, some in the media, some athletes, uh, many, you know, some politicians have gotten on this thing. And I think it's, it's going to happen when there's like this name, image, and likeness deal. And like, I don't know, to me, the truth of it is nobody's name, image, and likeness has any sort of value, right? Guys, people buy tickets, <laughs> they support their team, and then they learn about the athletes. And if they like the athletes, then they try and hire them when they get done playing sports, right? Would they give them some right. extra money? Like, yeah, but that's not ever what it's really been about. I just, I, you know, like, I'm not sucking up to anybody or anybody's system. I just, I don't really understand this, how some money in a guy's pocket makes everything better when we're giving them more and more support. It's about, to me, it's about playing, getting a chance to show yourself to get, be a professional basketball player, improving great facilities and coaches. And then, oh yeah, by the way, like when I get done, because I have a, a quality reputation, now I can go into business and and I connect with people at the university. Where are you on that? Uh, on on what seems to be a, a movement to pay kids more than a scholarship, more than the cost of attendance while they're still in in college. Yeah, no, I think it's an, a great topic. Um, I will say to you know I've, I followed your career a bit, Doug. Um, I am impressed that you put yourself out there all the time on these topics because especially now with the trolls that are out there. Gosh, like you can't have 
uh, you know, a, a sound, reasonable discussion anymore, uh, you know, especially even at the highest levels of our uh, political uh, arena. But um, on this topic, let me take you back to when I was probably a sophomore or junior at Penn State. And again, this is before there are Internet trolls or people that are going to start posting things about what you said. I, I was interviewed by the, the Daily Collegian, which is the, the newspaper at Penn State, and, and somehow the question came up like, so what is your opinion on players, you know, maybe getting paid? And I said, you know what? It's not fair that some of my teammates don't have a little cash on the weekend to go buy a pizza or to go to the movies. And so for, for them, and, and in that regard, I think that paying players um, makes sense. But in no way did I offer up a hey, what's, what's the actual structure of this or how is it going to look? And I got so much shit for that, <laughs> for that statement back then. And again, I would stand by the, the idea that I, I never needed or wanted. I was fine. Like my, I, I could use my dad's ATM card anytime, but $20 would last me a month. If my parents came up to, to watch a game, they maybe gave me uh, you know, $20, $40 uh, to put in my wallet. Uh, that would last me weeks <laughs> because everything was paid for. I had all my meals paid for. Um, I, I had all the clothing from Nike with the contract we had. And then to advance this uh, idea that you've asked about, they, all these, these teams across the country, especially in the major conferences, they have everything. When I visited Penn State over the years, especially in these last uh, 10 years now that I'm done playing, um, they have a complete setup in the locker room for whatever meal of the day it might be that they can go in there and get food. So we never had that. Uh, I mean, we had all our meals paid for, but the problem was if we got hungry after the meal hall closed, that was where we had problems. Where right. I'm still hungry at 9.30 at night, and I'm trying to keep my weight on during the season. I don't have any cash to go buy a pizza or, or buffalo wings from uh, Penn State sub shops. So for me, that was the scenario that, yeah, well, you know, we shouldn't have to need that. And, and maybe that came out in the, the UConn uh, champion uh, press conference where somebody from their team mentioned something yeah, like was, that, that uh, I go to bed hungry some nights. That's, yeah, hungry that's hus- what I would. The hungry huskies, yeah, hungry huskies. There you go. But you know, for you know, advancing the conversation to today with the likenesses, um, I agree with you because let's go back to when my number thirty-two Penn State jersey was being sold. It was a Nike jersey. It was super nice. Uh, once in a while on eBay, it'll pop up. It'll sell for five cents. But again, while I was in college, I used to see people wearing my jersey, and it'd be like, "Wow, that's super awesome." I remember being in Ocean City, Maryland, though. That would be where I'd go with friends in the summertime if I had a, a weekend or a week um, to just kind of lay back and, and have a good time. And I remember some kid walking down the street, and uh, we were in the car, and I told my buddy to stop the car. I said, stop, that guy has my jersey on. And I yelled to him. I was like, hey, do you know who that is? And the guy turned around and looked at me and said, yeah, Kajana Carter. <laughs> so, you know, for me, again, that little story, or I remember being in, it, um, in Italy and some little kid before our game was wearing a Penn State 32 jersey, and I said to him, do you know who that is? Well, he didn't speak English, um, and I guarantee he didn't know that it was me. <laughs> he was wearing a Penn State jersey, or even what Penn State was. He probably maybe got it at a Goodwill store or something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to, to fast forward to today with the likenesses, yeah, go crazy. I just I think that there's it's just opening up a big door of what you uh, kind of alluded to. Like, there's going to be people out there that are going to circumvent what it's meant to do, and it's just going to be a, a case of, well, we're going to pay this guy because we want him to then be a, a Nike guy or an Adidas guy or, you know, whatever it might be once they do graduate from college. And that's only going to be a handful of guys. 
that's not going to be like your average your average kid. But so even I, even I those mean, guys, like you know, you know, my my thing is okay. So I don't. I, and 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 forgive me if you're listening to this podcast and you've heard this. This is not the tangential rant. It's the first part. Is I'm not sure that people have ever been honest with how much it helps you just get into school to be on scholarship, right? Like, sure. I mean, I, oh, yeah. you know, Penn State's a real, and I'm sure you would. You probably would have gotten to Penn State. I wouldn't have gotten into Notre Dame on my own. I just wouldn't have. I remember when I was sure. uh, right. being recruited. Mike Montgomery recruited me to Stanford, and he was like, "Look, you just need a thousand on your SAT." I was like, that's it? Like, yeah, it's basketball. It's, it's different. And I, I was like, it was crazy. You couldn't, nobody, no one in my school got into Stanford. Nobody in my school got into Cal or to UCLA or Notre Dame, right. like my high school. Nobody at all. And I could have, and I was a good student and I had a good SAT, but nothing crazy. And I could get into anywhere. So just getting into school for so many of us as student athletes is, and it's prohibitively more difficult now. Then you come down to affording school. And I agree with you in terms of having a little money in your pocket. You know, they've done the cost of attendance thing. Guys do have Pell Grants. You know, I think right. some of it comes down to managing. You know, you got to learn to manage a little bit of money. It's not a lot of money, but you got to learn to manage it. Mm-hmm. There's, a re- there's a reasonable way, and it really has improved. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so much better than it's ever been. And, you know, you'll get people like, well, it's, it's not good enough. Like, look, if you're really going to track, if you're really going to track the TV contracts, yeah, the TV contracts are based upon schools and their brands and have and they're like the 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 easy way to explain it is there's a reason this the the contracts are 20 years out or 10 years out. It has nothing to do with the individual players. Now, look, has it been built up on those schools having a having success? Yes, but it's also based upon the alumni base. It's also based upon location. You know, all of these other things that kind of go into it. Sure. Um, the market. And sure. so, but, but, but to me, you, if you start paying guys as professionals, you start taxing things that they have. And the, mm-hmm. the entire system becomes right. very, very different and much more complicated. And it would be the, it would be the first ever employee that, that the government, that the state government would not want their tax dollars from. That's never going to happen, right? The, the other part that I find interesting is there's now this new kind of renewed push for some sort of unionization. And the flaw to that is, well, one, what are they going to fight over that they don't already have, right? There's a limit to how much time you can play. There's already set standards for, for the workplace in terms of, you know, scholarship is four years or five years and they can't cut you anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But there's this belief that if you unionize, the top guys will get more. Well, that would be the first time ever that a union would a fight union. for, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a union. The union doesn't fight for the top guys. The top guys are good. The union fights for the, for the rank guys. and file, yeah. right? And, right? And, and right. so, the, whereas the, the only inequity that you could possibly see are the, guy, the Kajana Carters, right? The Johnny Manzels. And my argument to those guys are, because they're so well promoted, that... And and they're they're they have these Heisman campaigns like Johnny Manziel, whatever he brought in to Texas A&M because of his one season of greatness when he won a Heisman trophy, he'll be able to collect on that for the next 50 years, even though he flamed out in the NFL. Right. Because he's John Manziel from Kerrville, Texas, and he can walk around and do autograph signings or whatever. And oh, yeah, by the way, when he signs all those autographs, it's going to be on Texas A&M shit. Right. And they don't charge him for that. They don't say, hey, we want our name 
name, image, and likeness. We want we don't want you in our uniform. It, it it actually doesn't work both ways. When you get done, you benefit way more from your tie to the university, whereas they do benefit on some level from you your tie to their university when you're playing. I it, again, I I think you and I, from what you just described, um, are in the same ballpark with with our view on it. Um, the what I have witnessed is that at least for Penn State, I, I haven't walked into a bunch of different locker rooms across the country, but I'm pretty sure they've been keeping up with the Joneses. And that is that, especially across the, the top sports, they're taken care of. They, they, there is, at now at Penn State, compared to when I was there, they have X, I don't know how many more positions of professionals who are paid money to help the team be successful to help promote, like you said, there, there's not only what we had was a uh, what did they call it the uh, the sports SID. information director. So we had a, a, SID, a special yeah. a specify, yeah, the SID. So he he would help us, Pat Donge, he would help us with getting uh, interviews set up or you know uh, making sure that we had certain things taken care of. But then they would you know nowadays they're doing so much more on social media because uh, I I follow the Penn State uh, online presence and there's people that are paid to do that. So. You know, that's the visibility that the guys are getting nowadays compared to when you and I were in college is way, way vast uh, of, a, of a difference. Um, so, again, I, I think we're on the same ballpark. Um, I think it's healthy to keep things in check. Where, where does it get out of check or out of balance is, is looking at some of these coaches and, and how much they're getting paid, um, you know, compared to some of the, the lower-tier schools. And then you say, well, that's just natural market forces, and, and that's fine. Um, I think from the standpoint of the education, I graduated, I got my, you know, my diploma. Um, to this day, Penn State's Alumni Association, I believe, is the largest dues-paying alumni association in the country. That's different from my brother who, you know, East Tennessee State graduate. It's a smaller school. So, you know, has he had as many opportunities as I have? And, it's, and I can give you the details. Penn State has continued to pay benefits for me, the fact that I graduated from there, and I continue to have, you know, a good standing in the Penn State community. Perfect. You and your brother are the perfect, perfect example. Perfect example. And then here, can I give you one real quick? I, I, do, sure. this with, I, I do this with radio guys all the time, right? You know, like, hey, what was your what was your first radio job? Like, man, I made ten dollars an hour, and I was doing this and that, and putting things together. And I was like, well, my first radio gig, I made sixty plus. I made you know uh, two hundred in appearance at like a local place, a hundred dollars every time. Like, I ended up making like seventy <laughs> something. Right. You combine it with what I was making ESPN. Like my my first year doing broadcasting, I was making easy low six figures, and which is crazy in the radio business to make sixty grand without ever having turned on a radio, and that was guaranteed. And then I had to make them like seventy five after endorsements and all that stuff. And, and you so had to put the, the, the door though, <laughs> right? It was only because I played Oklahoma State. Right, like there that, you go. I'm, I'm, well, it wasn't I, I, I was great. I, again, I go back. To, I go back to Kenny Mitchell, or I go back to uh, you know some of the guys I told you, mutual friends of ours. Uh, Renzi Stone. Renzi was yeah. a decent player at University of Oklahoma, as I understand it. I never got yes. to actually watch him play. Um, Renzi has been one of the most successful marketing um, executives in the Oklahoma City area for 20 years now. And yes, I, I he's part of the, he's part of the Sooner, out here in Scottsdale, Arizona. They, they're wearing University of Oklahoma shirts. And I said, hey, my, my buddy's on the board of regents uh, for University of Oklahoma, Renzi Stone. They're like, 
Oh, yeah, we know Renzi. His face is up on the billboard in Oklahoma City. Not because of basketball directly, but absolutely indirectly, and because he leveraged that, that visibility he got at school. And, and then, of course, he, he, he's worked his butt off. Um, he has all the other uh, intangibles that, that goes into making a great businessman. Um, you know, again, I, I, I can go on and on about the guys that I played with that, um, you know, they said, you know what, yeah, it's over. But now what am I going to do? And I've yeah. had to do that, too, these last 10 years. And if you have something to fall back on like that diploma and you have an alumni base that remembers you, that knows what kind of person you were, that goes forever. That goes for the rest of your life, and it doesn't last as long as your ACLs or your back or your ankles last. So that, for sure, I think is, is super important. Um, all right. Well, I know you do wealth management. I hope you put all your guys into Tesla today because holy shit. <laughs> uh, I've been, been putting people into a number of things that I, I can pat myself on the back for, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough game out there. <laughs> oh, today, today is a good, I, I, my, my guy, I have a guy in New York who's very conservative. And I remember in 2013, I test drove a Tesla, and the guy who I test drove his Tesla, he's like, you know what you should do? You should buy the stock. It's at 93 today. Buy the stock, <laughs> and then in five years, you'll be able to pay off your car in the stock. And I called my guy, and he's like, you know, Energy Stocks is kind of a weird company. They haven't made any money yet or whatever. I just sent him, like, while right. I'm talking to you, I sent him an email. $1,500 a share, asshole. <laughs> anyway. And it was at 93. I, I'd say if I took away the name, Doug, and I'm looking, I have my computer up while we're talking because I am keeping track of if my assistant Maggie needs something from me. Uh, but yeah, Tesla trading at 15.45 right now. It's PE though is 804. That, if I didn't know it was Tesla, I'd say, what the hell is wrong with this company? And why is it trading at an, a multiple that is just out of this world? Doesn't and make any sense. I think it doesn't make any sense. And a lot of investing, like a lot of things in the, the human experience, it's based on emotion, but it is a great company. They actually are making money finally, which, you know, that you could say that about Facebook or some other companies that now are, are showing a bit of a more of a cash, cash flow. But, um, you know, to get to your point, yes, I'm in wealth management. It's something that I studied at Penn State Finance. And, you know, it's been 10 plus years now. But, uh, yeah, it's, I, 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 I can't say how, how much of a, benefit that it's been to say that yes i graduated with a degree in finance from penn state university and and that i'm applying some of the things that i learned from that experience but also with my life experience so did yeah you know did, uh, did you guys know any of the other stuff that was going on what's that the football stuff oh absolutely not one of my first years out right so i was working at vanguard which is a, a financial company here in scottsdale based in pennsylvania though and people knew that I played basketball at Penn State after some time, right? And they knew that I was a big Penn State, um, you know, representative, so to speak. And, oh, my gosh, the things that people would say to me at my desk uh, were just out of, you know, just completely nuts. And my experience at Penn State, one, if you look at the history of the NCAA in terms of infractions or this and that, Penn State and Stanford and maybe Northwestern are the three that, like, never did anything, right? right. And I can tell you, John Bove, our NCA compliance guy, he was up our ass all the time about stupid stuff. Like, where, where did you do it with that $10 that, you know, we gave that back. We, we shouldn't have given you that. There, there were things all the time that we were constantly being, um, you know, scrutinized. And, and my experience, again, from, from my uh, four years plus, I mean, I would always go back to Penn State. And I 
you know, I worked on a, a film that was sponsored by Jerry Sandusky's organization. So you can look it up. It's called uh, Flow, <laughs> F-L-O-W. It's about confidence, and, and it was meant for elementary schools in, in Pennsylvania for kids that had problems with self-confidence. And so they took me, they took Karen McCoy, who used to be the wrestling coach at Stanford, um, All-American and Olympian wrestler. And then they had Missy Leopoldis, who was uh, an All-Big Ten gymnast. And so they had us kind of talking to, you know, kids in this movie about, hey, you know, uh, you know, keep your head up and all kinds of confidence ideas. So for me, it was like a really amazing organization that, that Sandusky had founded. Um, I saw the effects of the kids that would come into our practices or games I mean, you saw smiles, right? <laughs> I didn't see kids that were abused or, you know, that were complaining. Like, it was, it seemingly was an amazing organization. And where there's smoke, or there's fire, right? And it just seems like, you know, with all the things that happened, um, yeah, like, this guy, this guy was fooling a lot of people. And so to no, say he was, that... He, he was uh, a, that, that's the whole thing. He was, a, he was a complete con man. And, yeah. you know, the thing, the thing about con men is they, they can pull off the, the ultimate, ultimate con. It's amazing to me because I, when Ed DeCellis was there, I was covering the team a bunch. And, you know, I remember the sign that said success with honor. And I was always, I always carried Penn State's like, man, they're a little bit, they, they, they're a little bit, they feel like they're a little bit better than everybody else. And they might be a yeah, little bit better preachy. than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, they're a little preachy. A little they, bit. They stand on a little bit. And, and maybe, and maybe that's no. what makes it, that's maybe what makes it worse is that like, of I kind of bought it, even even if it was the reality for most, it obviously wasn't. It sucks because, because like you said, of all the associations with Penn State, you can't get into a Penn State conversation without somebody going like, "Hey, man, did you did you of know course. about the Sandusky thing?" Right? right. And, and I, I, I personally, uh, I'm buddies with Mike McQuarrie, so uh, you know, there's a lot of things that hit home with me. Now, my older brothers, one played basketball at the University of Scranton, one went to the University of Pennsylvania and played football. Um, again, they were, they knew when this was going down, that I was, I was a bit upset about it. I was frustrated by all the things that were in the media. And they said to me, what do you, what do you care, Pete? What do you care? And I said, well, look, I had a great experience at my school and I know that they had great experiences at their school, but they didn't have the same amount. I feel of a, you know, kind of like, Hey, this, the things that were taught to me outside of the classroom, like you said, the success with honor idea. Um, I was part of a, uh, an organization there, too, that was um, what they call a secret organization. Well, it's a service organization. The reason we, we don't tell people about it is because you do good things because in and of themselves they are good things. You're not doing it for the recognition. You're not doing it for the resume that I see for so many other financial advisors. I do this in the community and this and that. Well, no. At Penn State, again, there were things that were uh, built into the fabric of my experience that were about being a good citizen of the world. And, and there's things in the alma mater, there's things in the, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the schools, uh, uh, signs around campus, like you said, where I don't want to say it's squeaky clean, because any time that something bad did happen, it, you heard about it. Like, it was brought out. Paterno was one of the first guys, you know, that I understood. He always would um, say, look, there's something wrong here, and he'll stand up against it, right? And again, going back to John Bove, if there was anything ever going on with our program, Immediately, like, we're, we're being called into his office. So, yeah, to, to, to have that happen, uh, when it happened, when I'm, I'm out in the real world working at Vanguard and people are uh, talking trash about my school, I said, look, you don't know what that school is like. This sounds to me like it's more of a sociological um, phenomenon where you have organizations or, you know, you have an, an hierarchy where there's something that happens or people have suspicions, but they're afraid to talk about it or they're afraid of if they falsely accuse somebody. 
And I think it can happen. I had a teacher in high school who uh, got uh, fired because of, of an inappropriate relationship with a student. Um, and all of us were like, really? Wow. Like, we had no idea that that person was capable of that. And I, I think a lot of us could come up with other examples, but not to get too crazy on this tangent, <laughs> but it is Penn State. So I understand the, uh, the question now. I, there, is, there is a question I didn't ask you about Penn State. Uh, <laughs> no, it's Rec Hall. Greatest oh, place yeah. to play a basketball game. Is there ever as like it's of the of the places they no longer play there, obviously, which is a mistake because the new place is just too fucking big. Um, I quiet. But, I quietly agree with you. <laughs> OK, um, but is uh, have, have you ever played at a place that is as perfect for what college basketball is supposed to be about like rec hall? So let me. Why do they do I, this? I, they do this. They, they they did it to my place, Gallagher Iba. They made it fourteen thousand. It's too big, you know. Big. Uh, Oregon Oregon did it at Matt Court, but now it was it was yeah. built out of wood and it was like a tinderbox. But it was the best, the best. So, and then Rec Hall was what, like six thousand seats or some students standing right on the sideline. Seven thousand with the standing room only on the track that goes around the top. <laughs> so I I people. You bring up Rec Hall once in a while, especially Penn State people. They'll say, oh, how was it, how was it playing there? And I, I start with this. I played in a ton of gyms and arenas and shitty church basements or what have you in my, my 44 years of life, um, especially in Europe. I played in all kinds of places um, that were considered, you know, oh, this is where you're, it's, it's okay to play basketball on the surface. <laughs> I, I remember in Switzerland, it was one of those kind of courts where you could take your thumbnail and, and leave an indentation, like a wrestling mat. Yeah, 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 uh, soft, that, yeah. We played on that surface. Like, this is not a basketball court. So I played in all kinds of places, totally tight where the fans' feet are on the sidelines, um, you know, questionable whether the, the roof is going to fall in on us. There's leaks. Um, there's no air conditioning or there's no heat. But when you talk about the absolute loudest place I've ever played in, it is recreation building rec hall at Penn state. I remember my freshman year. I, I maybe mentioned this uh, earlier in our conversation uh, when we beat Michigan at, at home, first time Penn state's beaten Michigan, maybe ever at that point. And um, it was so loud at one point I'm on the bench and my teammate was yelling something in my ear, but because I couldn't see him, I had no idea he was yelling in my ear. So that when I turned and looked at him, I was like, why are you, you know, I could see he was red in the face and he was trying to yell in my ear. I couldn't hear him. That's how loud it was. And the fact that the, the students were straight across from the benches, completely filling up that section, feet on the sidelines. They had to back up the students anytime there was a sideline out of bounds. When they would play the fight song when we came out of the locker room, you could not help but get um, your hair standing on end. It, it was just an amazing electric atmosphere. Even when we were playing some bad teams, it was like, let's go. You know, we got our home court. We, we uh, own this. When you play in a cavernous arena, and especially if it's not completely full because you're playing against Indiana or you know, some big team, man, it's a, it's a disadvantage. It's just, yeah, again, it has, I, I it has quietly agree with you. The, intent. The, same yeah. archi- the same architect that designed the Palestra in Philadelphia designed Rec Hall. They're essentially the same building. And like Rec Hall, the Palestra is a cathedral of basketball. And never, ever tear that place down um, is, is what I would hope. Well, <laughs> yeah, listen, Ga- Gallagher, they didn't, t- they, didn't, they didn't tear down Gallagher. They actually, a guy named Gary Sparks is an architect, did an amazing job of building a whole new like section, uh, upper deck, 
over the top of Gallagher. And it's an it's an incredibly impressive bit. Like you walk in now, you're like, holy fuck, how does anybody win in here? Because 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 unlike other places like the lower level is. But the second level, which was always there, is on top of the lower level. And the pitch is it's literally right on top of you. So um, but it's just too big for the town. And now you have the thunder that, you know, and and every game's on TV and they haven't been that good. But it's just it's just too big. But we I'll give you an example of how the the loudest it actually was, was my, well, Kansas. We beat Kansas by 33 my senior year. But we beat Oral Roberts. And it seems weird to go like, who gives a shit about Oral Roberts? Which is actually what we said in the locker room afterwards. So we're playing Oral Roberts. Barry Henson, who is an OSU grad. He's actually back now as like an analyst on the staff. Barry Henson took over. Bill Self was the coach of Oral Roberts. He's assistant Oklahoma State. Then goes to Kansas. Then goes to Oral Roberts as their head coach. He gets that thing going, and then he goes right down the street, and he's the head coach at Tulsa. He leaves a guy named uh, Tim Gill as their best player at, uh, at ORU. So ORU comes and plays. This is like my fourth game or something in Gallagher. And we were picked last in the Big 12, but we were actually, we knew we were going to be pretty good. It was my first year there. And it was 6,314 pe- people could, could fit in this building. And it. and it was like a thing to go there, even when Oklahoma and we were they were just okay the year before two years before I get there. So it's packed. We're playing, and there's a kid named Philip Owens. Okay, Philip Owens grew up, went to Stillwater High School. Um, obviously, you go to Stillwater High School, you grew up in Stillwater, you want to go to Oklahoma State and play point guard. So sure, right. you know, we knew when he's coming in, we're like, this kid's going to want to, you know, when he comes into the game, he's going to want to show out. He comes in the second half, and we're down like nine. And we're at the free throw line, and I put the press on, and, I mean, he shits his pants. He's a freshman. It's like his first road game. He shits his pants. We go on a little bit of a run. Place is incredibly loud. Last play of the game, I think we're up six, four, six, whatever, and we get a steal. My man Adrian Peterson throws it to me. I throw it back to him. He catches. He dunks it, and kind of like at the end of – uh, one of the scenes of White Man Can't Jump where Billy Hole, where he pulls himself up and goes, ah, right to the rim. That's what Pete right. did, like dunks it at the buzzer. I don't remember if it counted or didn't count. And he comes down and we're like going crazy. And he's like, why are we going crazy? We only beat Oral Roberts, right? And But it was so loud that I felt terrible for this poor hyped. kid. Yeah. I, well, I felt terrible for this poor kid because here he is. Like he probably always wanted to play there. He now he always wanted to kick Oklahoma State's ass, and his first chance to do so, like the the the, the our team and the noise just swallowed him up. Right? It's it's that feeling. I had this feeling once in college basketball. My freshman year at Notre Dame, we're playing at Syracuse, the Syracuse team that went on to play for the national championship, and we're up fifteen at the half. And Jeff Chipola hits a three to start the second half, and. Uh, they throw the ball into me and everybody else is running down the court and all of a sudden we didn't realize Syracuse is pressing and I get like double teamed and I try and call the 22nd timeout and the ball gets poked out and John Wallace does like a windmill dunk and 30,000 people, you know, it's the loneliest feeling on earth is when you're trying to go like, help, help, and nobody can hear you, right? Which is what happened to him. But I never forget. So Barry Hinson is like, he's like Mr. Press Conference. He comes into the press conference at Gallagher afterwards, and he's like, the old girl got us. And they're like, Barry, who are you talking about? He's like, Gallagher Iba, she just jumped up and got us, and the noise swallowed us up. And it would. Like, you couldn't hear shit. You'd have, right. you'd have your ears would be ringing after the game. Yes. And yes. it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, NASCAR got away from its core when it started expanding. NHL got away from 
before when it went to Atlanta, went to Phoenix, and it went to Dallas, whatever. And some of those have been successful, some of not. College basketball, I, I believe, you know, Big Ten got away from its courts. Like Wisconsin, they win in the Kohl Center, but it's a it's it's like uh, a Morgan. that old that old boxing ring place, <laughs> whatever. It was, it was awesome. Called. It was awesome. Yes. Right, yeah. Ohio State's bowl place is awesome. Penn State Rec Hall is awesome. Um, like the Breslin yeah. Center is nice and it's really cool, but they, their old place is better. And like I don't know, somehow we've gotten into this bigger is better, and it's just not. And I, I, it's a, it's a cautionary tale for some places. Although most places have report, replaced their old buildings. Yeah, I, look, uh, you can have too much of anything, and and you hit on a, a big trend. Yeah, the. The success of the stock market in the 90s, and then boosters started giving money at the end of the 90s to a lot of schools, and they said, what are we going to do with this? And they started redoing their arenas um, and, and various buildings on campus, and, and nobody, I think maybe Tulane, maybe Tulane built a gym that was like less than 5,000, and they kept it intimate. They kept that old style of a, uh, you know, having an advantage um, yeah. in your in your home gym, and not just being this... You know, they they try to make them NBA arenas, and it just it's to me, yeah. Maybe in the next wave of of uh, booster uh, donations, they'll say let's let's take down that old arena and uh, try to capture some of that old magic. Uh, yeah, Pete, I've been you've been more than generous with your time. I I can't wait uh, to hear how people react to this. Uh, let's catch up in person <laughs> very soon. In the meantime, thank you so much for being my guest on All Ball. You got it, brother, and uh, be well and uh, stay safe through all the craziness lately. Thanks, man. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. All right, let's dig in on the L.A. Lakers. Look, I I do think that uh, they've been a little off. I think clinching the number one seed early probably probably takes any sort of luster to winning any other game. Um, Not having Avery Bradley and to a lesser extent not having Rondo has hurt them. I think trying to work in two new guys also hard guys that hadn't played in the NBA this year. Right. So that's another, or I hadn't played in a long time. So th- like there's a, bu- there's a lot to it. Uh, but the, the one thing that I, I haven't heard anybody say that people are talking about in basketball is like, boy, LeBron doesn't go by anybody anymore. Like, he doesn't. And I mean, he looks like just a monster, but not an agile one at all, at all. Kind of, alarming on the other hand like look he's in his mid-30s he's played in the nba for 17 years like this is what it it looks like no one is a spring chicken and he does he has that weird look down step back with dribble with the right step back to the left step back jump shot which is you know it's coming and there's not a ton you can do about it but i'm i'm fascinated by if lebron is going to get exposed this year in the playoffs for just not being a great athlete anymore and by great athlete i don't mean great athlete i mean great athlete by nba standards going by people making agile plays it's just all bully ball all the time um they got flaws man they're not a great three point shooting team they're better than they've shot it's harder when you don't have when you lose a shot creator you know you still start to get down with two point guards that are G league guys at, you know, early in their career. I I think there's a reason there's some limitations there at the point guard position. And that probably derails them even against the, the, the the Clippers. Uh, But, but one of the big points that needs to be made is yes, the point guards are, can be disappointing. Yes. They kind of got some mismatched parts and they, they lack some shooting, but it would also be behoove people to point out LeBron does not look like the same dude athletically. 
All right, that's it for this version of All Ball. My thanks to Pete Lasicki and for you for listening. A reminder, you can listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, or you can download the podcast if you want. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.